and welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. Now, coming up on the show, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about an exchange of good sportsmanship that has led to a lifetime ban for one of the participants showing good sportsmanship. Also, a lot of talk about Burning Man, which I guess makes it popular to talk about, even though I've had this plan for a couple of shows, just never got around to it. But we're going to talk about Burning Man a little bit later. But I want to start off with something that is a little bit more light, maybe fun, siding on the side of the macabre. As we roll into September, you start to see more and more people post on social media things about the fall. Fall memes. You get these leaves and pumpkins and pumpkin spice everything. And you've got people now starting to talk about putting up Halloween decorations. And so people are really getting into the fall time of year or the uh, hoodie weather. It used to be sweater weather, but now it's hoodie weather, even though I guess some young people wear hoodies even when it's 110 degrees outside. But anyway, so it's the fall time of year, and I guess Halloween, officially or unofficially, kicks off the holiday season. You've got Halloween on October 31st, and then just shy of a month later, you've got Thanksgiving, and then about a month later, you've got Christmas, and then a week later, New Year's, and then we roll into the uh, new year. And obviously, you've got Veterans Day in there as well, and maybe you've got some other holidays that you uh, celebrate, depending upon the religion that you practice, the faith that you have. And so, but again, it typically starts with Halloween, as far as the festive time of year. Now, I like the fall time of year for a couple of reasons. One, college football kicks off. Love college football. I know a lot of you are NFL fans. A lot of people putting on social media videos about signing contracts with your significant other, saying that you're going to be busy on Sundays for the next four months. That's me for Saturday. I'm a uh, college football fan. So you guys can have your Sundays. I'll take my Saturdays. And so you've got that. You also have the... Uh, September call-ups in baseball, Major League Baseball, heading into the postseason. You've got the pennant chases going on, and then the playoffs and the World Series. And then just from a professional level, you've got the start of the school year, which I know we've talked about a couple episodes ago, preparing for that and kind of overcoming that chaos. But on college campuses, I always find the fall of the year, the new year, the new school year, as an opportunity for limitless or unlimited potential. You've got students that are new, maybe out of high school, heading to college for the first time. Maybe they're leaving home and going away to college. Maybe you've got some people that decided to go back to school and start over, or at least continue where they left off after they maybe gave up some some time ago. So anyways, endless possibilities, unlimited potential when you start a new school year, especially on the college campus. And so, again, the fall of the year, plus you start getting into a little bit of the cooler weather. It's not so freezing cold, and yet it's not so burning hot. 
And so, again, it's a, it's a fun time of year. Plus, there's some other things that are going on during that time of year. So I like the fall. Along with Halloween, obviously, you've got all these different haunted whatever. Haunted houses, haunted amusement parks, haunted farms that are turned into you know scary corn mazes. I mean, you've got all kinds of things depending on where you live in the country. And so growing up in Los Angeles, one of the first OG haunted places you would go to, maybe minus your YMCA or your local organization that might put one on as a fundraiser, was Not Scary Farm. And I guess in 2023, if I read it right, Not Scary Farm is celebrating their 50th anniversary. Yay for you. So now when you talk about these things, you talk about Not Scary Farm, Universal Studios in Los Angeles has their um, Halloween haunt nights, and I think Magic Mountain out in the Santa Clarita Valley had them. I don't know if they continued with them. And like I mentioned, depending on where you live, your amusement park might have a haunted night or nights. Um, If you live some other place, maybe, like I said, a farm turns into a scary farm, a, a corn maze turns into a scary maze. However you do it. And then, of course, you've got Halloween where you trick-or-treat. You've got your costumes. You've got your parties. You've got all kinds of things. You've got your horror movies. Um, all this good stuff going on. The idea behind it, though, is that we like to get scared. For some reason, that scariness that goes on at this time of year, we enjoy. And for some reason, being scared is fun. Why is that? Why do we like getting scared? Well, perhaps this video from Georgetown University, a professor, maybe gives us a little insight into why we like to be scared. The annual holiday Halloween centers around fear. Halloween costumes, decorations, haunted theme parks, and movies are all created and purchased with the explicit goal of scaring people. We usually think of being scared as a bad thing. So why do so many people spend so much time and money to scare and be scared every October? Fear is an ancient emotion we share with every other sentient species. In humans and other animals, fear is coordinated by a structure in the brain called the amygdala. When you hear or see or smell something that signals danger, information about the threat is sent to your amygdala very rapidly, in just a few milliseconds. Your amygdala then signals your body to prepare to escape by activating the sympathetic nervous system. Your heart pumps faster, blood gets pushed into your muscles, sugar is released for energy, your pupils dilate, and you feel a rush of energy. But of course, none of these sensations are inherently bad. They're the same changes we experience during very exciting or funny experiences, too. The bad part about fear is the perception that something terrible is actually going to happen to you. When you know that nothing truly terrible is going to happen, like when you're riding a roller coaster plummeting toward the ground, the rush of sensations you experience can be interpreted as fun and exciting, rather than unpleasant. People seem to actually seek out a range of intense experiences that are just slightly less intense than the maximum we can tolerate. Think of eating spicy peppers. The peppers people actually enjoy the most are those that are near the top end of the range of what they can tolerate. Of course, this range is different for everyone. So while some people seek out scarier and scarier haunted houses and theme parks every Halloween, others prefer to stay home watching only mildly scary movies and waiting for Halloween to be over. When it comes to the range of pepper, in my excitement, it's usually the black pepper sitting next to the salt on the table. You guys can have the rest. But that's what, in a nutshell being scared is about it's this sensation that goes off in our system that gives us this rush of whatever she said 
that makes it exciting knowing that we're not going to perish or nothing bad's going to happen. So it has that element of like fight or flight, which is mainly the flight aspect that comes into play. But we know that we're going to be okay. Riding a roller coaster, it's scary. Going to haunted house, it's scary. But for the most part, we're going to be okay. I've been to not scary farms several times. I've been to all of them several times growing up, especially when you live in Southern California and you grew up in Southern California. It's just, you're going to get there. So I've been to not scary farms several times. And my opinion of it is it's, it's okay. I mean, if you want to get scared, that's fine. But the actors that are out there scaring people, they're going after the response. And the bigger the response you get as far as being scared, the more they're going to come after you. And usually that lies with the ladies. The ladies are the ones that are giving the biggest reaction to being scared. The biggest screams, the biggest, you know, hiding behind their boyfriend or gathering in their group of friends and, you know, trying to get away from it. So usually the actors are going after the ladies. Not too often will a guy give this shriek of a scream and then play into the hands of the actors getting scared. Now, naturally, like she just said, that fight or flight where you get jumped is natural. A lot of people say, oh, I scared you because I jumped out of from behind a door and I scared you. Well, yeah, but that's natural. If you didn't jump, you might have a serious problem because that's the thing that's going to keep you alive in any type of situation. You're reflecting and trying to go into protect mode when something comes after you. So to me, that's not really scaring somebody. That's just implementing their flight or maybe fight mode but again when you get scared that's that's what it is and so usually you go after the um the ladies that are running around and you know giving into it i've had people come up to me and try to scare me and i I can't play into it and i don't get scared so we have some dude in a mask with some fake chainsaw and he revs it in my face i'm just not phased by it at all so i'm not the one i'm the least of them to give into this but i do like going to some of these things because you can take advantage of some of the rides and some of the other attractions that go on that you might not normally get to when you are doing a regular day at the park. For example, 2019, I believe it was, went to Universal Studios and their Halloween hunt. Had a great time, a lot of fun. Spent a majority of the time on the rides like Simpson, Jurassic Park. Uh, is there an Indiana Jones or is that Disneyland? Whatever it is, all those rides. Maybe it was The Mummy. Maybe The Mummy's at Universal uh, Studios. And Indiana Jones is at Disneyland. But, you know, going on those rides. And, in fact, there was one time where we figured out where in Jurassic Park you have this drop where the camera was. And so we went a couple times to try to get that perfect picture, which we ended up getting. It was like the perfect picture at the perfect time. I mean, it's the best picture I've ever taken on a ride like that. And we finally got it. So we spent a lot of time doing that type of thing, having fun in the kind of non-scary part. We saw some performances. Like I said, rode the rides, did all that stuff. Then we decided to head down to the back lot where all the mazes and everything are, the scary stuff is, and maybe try to participate in something down there. Now, to me, it wasn't that great because you spent over an hour in line waiting to get into a maze. And then, for some reason, as you go through the maze, it's you know kind of cool. But then you get into these dark rooms, and then, crack, I get hit on the back of the head. And now I'm, like, dizzy. Like, literally something whacked me on the back of the head. And I've had that happen a couple times at a local, if you're familiar with the Burbank area, Burbank, California, the Burbank Mall, Media City Center Mall, or whatever its name is now. Before that was even open years and years and years ago, down where... I don't know what's there now, but it used to be Sports Chalet. 
they had a haunted house thing going through there, and I got whacked in the head in a dark room during Burbank's Halloween thing. So, again, not a fan of dark rooms when it comes to that because my experience, that's just me. But anyways, I've been to them all. I've seen them all. I've had fun. And usually it's who you go with over what's going on that really makes it fun. But you're there to get scared. You've got the scary mazes. You've got the rides. You've got the attractions. You know, and it's all there to have some fun. Now, the ticket prices can range. I checked it this year. It's anywhere from 60 to 200 because there's all kinds of these different packages. You've got the fast lane. You've got all this stuff. And again, people are looking for the reaction. And if you get a reaction, the actors are going to come after you even more because that's just how it is. And like the lady said from Georgetown, we like to go because it gives us something in our system that excites us through this fear mechanism, but we know we're going to be okay. And so it's another form of fun, another form of body stimulation that we enjoy. Okay. So going on the rides, going on the mazes, you do your thing. Now, not Scary Farm. Their 50th anniversary, they have come up with something called Scare Immunity. What is Scare Immunity? Well, for $14.99, you can buy a no-boo necklace. A no-boo necklace or for those that don't want to be scared while at Knott's Scary Farm. The actors cannot deliberately scare guests when they have their necklace when it's lit up and visible. So you can, for $14.99, become not a target of being scared. Now, not Scary Farm. In case you haven't been there or you haven't been around an amusement park type theme of scariness, this is kind of what it's like. And if you're listening on the audio portion, it's mostly a video clip that I'm going to play. So you may at some time want to go over to our Rumble account or RadioWarp.com, click on the logo, and watch the video aspect if you're interested in it, or just Google search it. But here is a little bit of a taste of what you might be able to expect when you go to a place like Not Scary Farm. So, again, that's a little bit of a taste of what Not Scary Farm is like. So, of course, if you don't want to be scared by any of that deliberately, you get for 15 bucks the no-boo necklace. It's a necklace that lights up, flashes, or does something. And when visible, it's very clear that you are someone that doesn't want to be scared. So, my question, though, is if you are going to a place where the sole intent is to be scared or themed around something scary, why do you go if you want the no-boo necklace? Now, there could be two reasons for it. It could be they're trying to market and get more people to come to raise revenue. And you can do that by getting people to buy the $15 for the no-boo. Or you can offer a $15 no-boo necklace and maybe more people get the $60 to $200 ticket and go and ride the rides. My suggestion is this. If you really want to go to Knott's Berry Farm and you don't want to 
be scared, go during the daytime. I've been to Knott's Berry Farm or Knott's Berry Farm during the daytime. Everybody goes at night. And so your daytime, even like on a weekend day, is going to be not busy. And you could do all the rides. They cover up the scary stuff. They have all the attractions open for the most part. And it's not scary. It's Knott's Berry Farm during the day and Scary Farm at night. So if you really wanted to participate in that, why do you go and get a no-boo necklace and get scare immunity on not scary form i just don't understand that maybe you might be able to let me know and if you do go is it something fun is it this this year it's the 50th anniversary of it what do you do at these amusement parks like i said most of the time it was like in high school you'd go you know for a date great date places right because the ladies cling to you because they don't want to get scared or maybe in a group situation because everybody has fun and you have that collective scaredness together. But again, it's a fun place to go if that's what you like. But again, why don't you, or why do you go if you don't want to be scared? And would you pay $15 for a boo immunity? And a lot of times these scary actors usually are located in a certain place. So you could also avoid those places kind of like at universal studios. You could pretty much do the entire place, stay off the back lot, and you'd never get scared. You start heading down toward the back lot, that's when the actors come out and try to scare you. But again, you do you. Now, the whole point of that is to kind of talk about and have some fun as we start the show. But here's the thing. When you take a look at horror versus terror, okay, you're dealing with two different things. You talk about someone being terrorized, versus Halloween Horror Nights or Halloween Haunt or horror movies. And Anne Radcliffe, she was a gothic writer. Got to read some of her stuff as I was getting my master's in English. She did this thing called On the Supernatural in Poetry. And she basically talks about the difference between horror and terror and the significance of it, especially when it comes to the experience that you have. So I'll read something just briefly, and then I'll put it in layman's terms. So horror versus terror. Anne Radcliffe, again, a gothic writer, has many novels out there of the gothic nature. And, in fact, some of hers, I was talking to, I went into one of those old-time bookstores that specializes in older books, and some of her books can be valuable, but they're highly sought after, too, so who knew? But Radcliffe describes horror as the cheaper shock value version of the emotion. Horror is the fear of something concrete as experienced when one encounters a monster, a specter, or a scene of violence. Terror, on the other hand, is characterized by uncertainty and obscurity. It's the sense of anxiety and dread that comes from the fear of the unknown or the yet to come. So basically, terror is fear of the unknown. So you're being terrorized by something unseen. And then once you see it, now you have a recollection of what it is. And now you might be horrified or the horror kicks in because you have familiarity with what it is that is now or once was terrorizing you. So we are terrorized by the unknown under the bed. We are terrorized by the unknown in the closet. But once the boogeyman exposes himself, now it's horror. So basically it comes down to this. Terror will control our mind. 
horror controls our emotion. And so as you go through what's to eventually become Halloween season, scary season, maybe you go to the not scary farms or whatever you do to scare yourself into excitement and fun, keep in mind that terror controls the mind. It's the unseen that is terrorizing you. Horror is the concrete absolute that you see, and that is controlling your emotions. So happy Halloween. Burning Man is all the rage because apparently there's 70,000 people stranded on the playa as of our conversation right now. I wanted to talk about this because I knew at the end of August, the last week of August into the first week of September in the year 2023 was going to be Burning Man. And I wanted to talk about Burning Man for a couple of episodes. But every time I sit down to put together a show, I start with an idea. And then as I do research and it takes me to this story and that story, other things come up. And then at the end, most of the time, the idea that I started out with never is what I do the show about. It's always some other show that comes out of it. So I thought, well, now since everybody's talking about Burning Man, I'll bring, dust it off, and bring out the story that I was going to talk about. Um, started in 1986, in case you didn't know. And basically, it's a big thing out in the desert of northern Nevada, in case you don't know what it is. It's uh, about 100 miles north of Reno. And you've got a bunch of people, like I said, 70,000 people apparently stranded right now that head out to Black Rock Desert and they create basically this city, a city that will basically be associated with sex, drugs, and expression, according to the website. Um, Apparently, anybody can attend to this thing. Now, real quick, there's a couple of things that you need to know as far as the rules if you're going to go. There's uh, radical inclusion, which means everyone is welcome, even kids. Uh, gift giving, it's unconditional. So instead of money, you might, if you need something from somebody or whatever, you, the need or you feel like doing something, you can give gifts. Uh, there's no corporate sponsorships. It's completely self-reliant. You have to rely on your own self. You have to bring in your own water, your food, all that stuff. Um, self-expression, the whole thing is on self-expression. It's communal effort. So you're collaborating, social networking, maybe getting together with groups and stuff. And I'm sure right now there's a whole lot of communal effort going on trying to survive. You're supposed to have civil responsibility, which everybody's supposed to be responsible for themselves, I guess. And then you're supposed to leave no trace and clean up after yourself. Now, besides the fact that Burning Man is Burning Man, one of the things that kind of exploded onto the mainstream about Burning Man many, many, many years ago was that leave no trace behind. You're supposed to clean up after yourself, pack in, pack out. But a lot of people would leave tons of trash on the playa, and so other organizations and entities would have to come in after Burning Man was over and clean up the playa because people did not take out what they brought in. You would find all kinds of bicycles. You would find all kinds of other type of garbage that was left behind, maybe artwork, because there's all kinds of artwork that people do. I mean, it's a whole thing. Now, if you don't know what Burning Man is, or you have no sensation of what Burning Man is, and all you now think of, perhaps, is videos you saw on social media about all the mud and everything that was going on, or maybe Chris Rock getting a ride out of the back of a pickup truck, if that's all you've seen, 
Again, here's just a brief clip of a highlight from a past Burning Man. And again, if you're listening on the audio version, you might want to jump over to the video version and take a peek or do your own internet search. But again, here's kind of a recap, a brief, brief recap of some of the things that goes on at Burning Man. A place untamed by our wildest imagination. So when you take a look at that video, it can be pretty inviting. It looks pretty cool. You've got that stuff all lit up at night. I mean, it's a whole city unto itself. You've got all kinds of fun things going on, and it seems pretty cool. But for me, maybe you like it, and maybe you want to go someday. But for me, I've been camping. I have no interest in going to Burning Man whatsoever. In case you don't know, some of the things that are required, one point they recommend off their website, 1.5 gallons of water per day per person, sunscreen, sunglasses. They do have those porta potties, which are now becoming a major story because they can't be serviced because of the torrential rain that has caused mass flooding and, I guess, a big mud pit, mud field, so people can't get in or out. So they also recommend you bring an emergency toilet, like a five-gallon bucket with liners and lids. And you have to prepare because during the day, it could be 100-plus degrees, and at night, it can get below 50, 40 degrees. You get all kinds of whiteouts, and I put rainstorms, and hey, look, we have a rainstorm that has hit through the playa and stranded 70,000 people. So that's the reality of it. The other thing, too, is that Apparently, the dust on the playa is one of an abrasive in nature. I mean, you can get, it's not just your normal, like, soil. It's like some dirt that is abrasive that cuts you. So there's harsh conditions. You've got the wind and the heat. There's apparently trash everywhere. Like I mentioned, I've seen many stories over the years of people having to go in and clean up the playa afterwards. The big thing is, is they recommend that you wear socks and shoes because you get playa foot. Apparently, the abrasive, toxic nature can affect your feet and cause some sort of medical condition. So, again, I don't see the fun in it. Sure, you watch the videos, but I don't see the fun in it. But here's where it gets really, really kind of dark and I think twisted in certain areas. Now, it started out as a commune in 1986 where people would go out and it was all about expression and then there was drugs and sex and all that stuff. So it was basically a, you know, an Eden-esque type of thing, you know, very hedonistic. Well, from there, it became very popular. So now a lot of celebrities go, a lot of TikTokers and influencers. Everybody wants their pictures to be known and all this stuff. But here's the thing. So you've got a, a thing there called the Orgy Dome. 
You've got BDSM dungeons. You've got a human car wash. You've got constant nakedness. And now they have, apparently this year, they had an airplane where you can get involved in the Mile High Club and use your imagination if you don't know what that is. So my thing is, what kind of person, and I'm not judging, I'm just curious. Because first of all, take the camping situation. You know, I guess I've seen videos of people in tents. I've seen videos of people in like RVs, campers, van conversions, all type of living conditions. But again, and I've seen showers. They say there's showers there, but basically it's a, you fill your little bucket up with water. And then there's like a little hose thing that I guess has some sort of suction pump. When you turn it on, then dribbles out the spout. My shower is like I flood my bathroom every time I shower because it just pours down on me. That's the shower that I take. So I am not going to go to the playa because they've got showers. Nor am I going to use the porta potty when there's 70,000 people using the same porta potty. I'm completely grossed out by this entire thing, to be honest. But people like this. But again, the orgy dome. So again, a lot of sex involved with it. The human car wash, you can use your imagination on that. The, the planes for the Mile High Club. And you've got all this stuff going on. And again, when the uh, founders, I guess, Larry Harvey and Jerry James back in 1986 started this, it became associated with expression, sex, drugs, and then some art. And like the video showed, you know, there's some pretty cool things that are going on there. Some pretty talented people. But if you're going specifically for all this, could you imagine the, the potential hazard to you that you might be facing? I mean, just think about the orgy dome. Okay, now they, they say that you have to have consent for every single thing that you do, every step that you do. But just what about the hygiene that's going on there? I mean, I've read some testimonials. They weren't salacious testimonials. They were just on a you know normal kind of newsworthy you know, website. Maybe like Huffington Post or something. It wasn't that one, but you know, something like that, Salon or Slate, whatever. And then they're giving their, their testimonials about what's going on, describing some of the interaction. And I'm like, the fantasy is always going to be a thousand times better than the reality. And then you've got people that haven't showered in forever. You've got people using the same mattresses as others. I mean, I just don't get it. And then you've got some other things going on where apparently, well, here's the thing. Side note, real quick. Because, again, you have to be careful of what you read because here's one thing. So the rain came down, and they closed off the playa. 70,000 people are trapped. No one in, no one out is what they said. Then all of a sudden, you start to see reports on Twitter that the CDC came in and that there's an outbreak of Ebola, and that's why the whole thing shut down. And now this Ebola rumor has spread on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. And a lot of people are thinking that there's an Ebola outbreak on the playa. Doesn't seem to be true. It's the rain, the mud, all this stuff. But that's why Twitter and social media can be so dangerous because you have something, a platform that many people look to as gospel. And when you have something like Ebola on the playa at Black Rock City, for Burning Man, people start to buy into it and spread it, and this thing goes. I watched a, and we've talked about it before, but a documentary on the uh, social dilemma, I think it is, um, on Netflix, and it talks about how kind of misinformation or lies spread six times faster than the truth because people like that salaciousness. But again, 
you get so you've got that. So you do kind of have to be careful because I was going to say was then you have a lot of reports of other types of diseases that you know are transmitted amongst each other in their you know adultness and their adult entertainment, their adult fun. Um, you've got other types of illnesses. They've got a whole medical tent and stuff like that. But I ask why? Why do people want to go to this? I don't see anything fun about it. Sure, it looks great on video with it dark and you've got the lights shining and you've got the big burning thing uh, of the burning man at the end and all this stuff, but it just doesn't look like fun to me going out to the, the desert where it could be 120 degrees at night or in the daytime and then at night drops to below 40 and that's what's happening now. People are freezing. Um, trash everywhere, dust and dirt everywhere, dirtiness everywhere. And then what kind of food are you eating? I just don't get it. But I guess every year people will get out there and they will go do it. But then what about the depravity when you think about lives being shattered? I talked about this on a, on an episode, a couple podcasts back. At the start of every college school year, you've got the fraternities and the sororities and the party and all this stuff going on. And a couple of years ago at the University of uh, Nebraska-Lincoln, on the first Friday night, school hadn't even started. School starting Monday. The Fiji house, which was, I guess, a fraternity, there was a rape that took place. So a young gal, 18 years old, hasn't even taken her first class, and she's already raped on a college campus. How many lives are destroyed on weekends at a college campus, on a college campus, because of fraternity and sorority parties? How many lives are destroyed here because of whatever goes on that's not reported? even though consent is supposed to be a big thing. How many people come back with a disease? How many people come back with some other form of sickness? And why would you want to expose yourself to that? You know, we just got through the pandemic, and now all of a sudden everybody's just back to whatever. And there's things worse than COVID that you can catch that is life-altering, life-changing. I mean, back in 19, uh, check that, 2019, apparently there were 58 arrests for sexual assault. That's just the fact. Okay, that's a lot, a lot of lives that are affected, at least the victim and the perpetrator. So 58 times two, and now you've got like, what, 116 people, lives destroyed when they set out on the playa to have fun. So why would you want to expose yourself to stuff like this? What kind of mindset does it take? I know people might say, oh, you're just a prude or you're just trying to be this or that or a negative Nelly. But no, what what? What fun is there when you're exposing yourself to a lot of potential hazards and now you've got the rains and you got 70,000 people cut off and they say shelter in place can serve food and water because it might be a couple days, you know, before they, they get to you when you get this report and you've got this abrasive nature of the desert. I was watching a... Um, Video Woodstock 99, perhaps you've seen it. And that's what it reminds me of is the rains came and the, the food supplies, water supplies. I mean, the whole thing just became a tragic nightmare. And it ended, apparently the whole thing ended prematurely because one of the nights there was a rave going on. And apparently it took place at, maybe like at a, an Air Force base that was abandoned or something like that because there's big hangars and places that people would go to have raves that night. And apparently the night that it all ended, a van rolled in, 
the doors opened and there was a 14 year old being raped inside the van and they had to cut the music, cut the rave and the whole place started to riot and became a train wreck. But that's the type of thing that you're going to experience when you go to some of these things. You've got the drugs, you've got the booze, you've got a heightened sense of whatever that the amygdala is getting you because we talked about fear and how that gets us going, right? Well, what about the sex side of it? What about this excitement and what your body is doing? And you can easily get away with all kinds of things if you really wanted to. And so it goes back to, do you really want to set yourself up to be in a place where something could happen to you, even though your intentions are good? And on that Woodstock 99, there were several people that were underage. Well, I shouldn't say several people, but there was one gal who I guess was underage when she went, and she was one of the people that was giving her experience on the documentary, and she was sharing a lot of things that she shouldn't have been exposed to. So it makes you wonder why people want to head out there and be a part of this and take part in something that can be so tragic and so life-threatening. And they've had it before. I mean, you had Woodstock originally and then Woodstock 99, and apparently there was like a fire festival where something went down. I don't even like going to Coachella. I'll never go to Coachella. I'll never go to any music festival in general uh, just because I don't trust the other person in these situations. When something happens... It's hard to trust the other people. Now, humans are great at coming together when it's a disaster of some sort. And I'm sure that the people that rely on, according to their rules, their 10 rules of Burning Man, communal effect and civil responsibility and gifting and radical inclusion, that they're going to try to work together to get to survive, get the things they need. But the conditions there aren't going to be great. Why would you want to expose yourself to that? I guess that's a question that you'll have to answer. Again, not judging. I'm just asking. Would you do that? Would you want to go out there and be a part of that? I don't even like camping to begin with, to tell you the truth. I can tell you some stories about camping that are tame, but still just not enjoyable. But, again, that's going on. And you've got people exposing themselves to potential harm. But the question I'd mainly ask is if you go to Burning Man, you have all these great intentions of having fun, self-expression, art, maybe engaging in the adult fun that is obviously advertised with the orgy dome, the sex plane, uh, the BDSM dungeon, the car wash, which isn't a car wash. It's a human body wash, if you know what I mean. And so, again, you're setting yourself up for all kinds of things to happen to you. And we know life is precious and life is valuable and life is short. But now what happens? when a situation becomes life-threatening, when your life has changed because fun went too far and now people aren't having fun anymore and now your life has radically changed. And that could be, in any case, any weekend, you're out at the bar with some friends drinking a little too much, decide to drive yourself home, whatever it is. Got to be careful. Got to be responsible. Got to take, take care of life. Because it goes so quickly. John Mellencamp, the OG Cougar, making some headlines. The author of the songs, the artist of the songs, like R.O.C.K. in the USA, Pink Houses for You and Me, Hurt So Good, Jack and Diane. Apparently he went on a podcast with Bill Maurer and said some uh, racially sensitive things 
which may or may not be true. And Bill Maurer cracked back, clapped back, I guess you could say, and called him on it. But here's what John Mellencamp having to say about only 1%, maybe 2% of all black people today are living that are living in America are better off than lives of slaves. I wrote a song that I never recorded because I felt it was wrong, but it was called From the Fucking Cotton Fields to the Plague Fields. Yeah. So my point is, is that, yeah, so so what? We, well, we, I would I, say that... Us well, white people love to have black people entertain us. I would say that the playing fields are a lot better than the cotton fields. That's what I would say about that. Maybe I'm crazy, John, but it seems like making no money as a slave picking cotton was it was not as good as playing left field for the Yankees. Well, I mean, I'm sure there were, uh, you know, reasons why listen, I mean, listen, Dave no, Winfield no, has some no, beefs against no Steinbrenner, doubt, I'm no sure. No doubt there is one or two percent of black people in America who have a better life. Oh, stop. That's what you think? One or two percent? Okay, let's say ten percent. I'm just no, pulling a number out of my ass. It is. That's where it belongs. Hey, I just <laughs> pull a number out of my ass. I know, but I'm telling you, that's that's just not true. But, you know. Well, okay, well. I, I mean, that's to, listen. We do have statistics. Now, good for Bill Maurer for pushing back. Because that's the type of thing where someone like John Mellencamp, formerly known as John Cougar, the original Cougar, Mellencamp, would put something out there and people would just run with it. It's only 1%, maybe 2% of black people are better off today than slaves, which is obviously not true. And just like Ebola at Burning Man would spread through Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it now, something like this, if not pushed back upon, would spread like wildfire over the same platform. Now all of a sudden people are calling for or repeating this information, and it's completely not true. He just And like he said, he just made it up. He just pulled it out of his backside. But yet people will still take what someone like him will say and run with it. And they'll be like, oh, see, this is, this is what's true. When it's really not. In fact, it's false. And there's a lot of that going on in our country. A lot of false narratives that people are preaching as true. I'm telling you, man, that X or Twitter, that is the most toxic place on the planet. You go there, and it's just a bunch of lies. It's just a bunch of self-promotion that are lies. I mean, it is the worst place. It's the worst name-calling. It's the worst trash-talking. It is the worst place. Elon Musk might be better off just yanking that thing. He's rumored about it. He's talked about it a couple times. If Twitter went away, I would not care because it is one of the worst places on Earth. There was a lot of toxicity going on by everybody on that place. Now, one of the things that the cougar... John Mellencamp, talked about in this podcast as he went on. He talked about he was in a band at the age of 14. I think it was the, I think he calls it the Crepe Soul Band. He was 14 years old. It was a mixed race band. And Fred Booker was uh, a kid that was 16 and he was black. And Mellencamp says that Fred Booker is the one that taught him to sing and dance, that they learned from each other. And I'm thinking, well, why not focus on that? I mean, you said some dumbass comment about only 1% or 2% of black people are better off than slaves in this country today. I mean, what an asinine, stupid comment. Because we know it's not true and good for Bill Maurer for pushing back. Why not focus on this? Hey, look, at I had a mixed band race when I was 14 years old. And it affected how I 
live life because I was able to see what the other side is like. John Mellencamp is all against rap lyrics because it's degrading, it's derogatory. He hates the use of the word of the N word in rap lyrics. He thinks it's deplorable that nobody, even black artists, should be saying it. So there's a lot of positive things to say. But here, Fred Booker was a guy who was a black kid, I think, like I said, 16 at the time, a couple of years older, taught him how to sing and dance. And that's what it is. You're taking cultures and you're bringing them together. There was a scene in the movie Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck, a.k.a. Magnum P.I., where he goes to dinner with, uh, I guess it's his agent. She is uh, Japanese because he has to go over to Japan to play baseball because his American career is pretty much dried up. And they're talking about different things, and they go to dinner. And when dinner is revealed, because it comes on a silver platter with a silver dome, and it, when it's revealed as to what dinner is, Tom Selk's character, Mr. Baseball, is thinking that it's going to be some sort of fish, sushi, Japanese uh, you know, food. But it turned out to be steak, Kobe beef, a steak. And the comment was from the gal that Japan takes the best of all cultures and makes it their own. And I actually tried to find the clip to play it, but I couldn't find it, at least a good quality of it. So I told you about it. But that's what it should be. We should be able to take and learn from other people the best of other cultures, the best of other people, and learn from and share and elevate ourselves based on what we learn from other people. I mean, if I say Tuesday, what comes to mind? Tacos. If I say Cinco de Mayo, what comes to mind? Beer, alcohol. Although Cinco de Mayo has nothing to do with Mexican Independence Day. That's in September, but you get what I mean. Or what about uh, St. Patrick's Day or Irish? You can throw anything out there. China, Chinese food, whatever. You take the best, or if I said K-pop, music, right? There's things out there that we can all enjoy, that we can take from cultures, that we can take from other people, that we can take from and we can share and we can better everybody. And see, and that's the opposite of what goes on at Twitter. That's what the opposite that goes on in politics is they take and they divide, 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 divide. And there are people that will sit there and they will die on an ideology that is completely stupid, like 1% to 2% of black people are better off today. That is an ideology that is absolutely false, but people will die trying to defend that ideology. Instead of on the flip, like Mellencamp says, he had a 16-year-old black kid teach him to sing and dance. And then ROCK is uh, in the USA is a song about music throughout the uh, years, celebrating music throughout the years. So why not take from the best? Why not learn from each other? Why not come together? I'm assuming, I'm not there, but I'm assuming people on the playa in northern Nevada are working together to try to survive. At least I'm hoping. But that's what we need to do, come together. Because if we're not coming together, what's the point of even being here? If we are looking at other people, looking down on other people for who they are, because their culture, their traditions, why? There is so much that we get from other cultures. There is so much that we get from each other, whether it be musical influences. Talk to musicians. How many times are musicians talking about their influences? And some of them might be surprising. I mean, you take someone like Richard Marks, how many people he's influenced and written songs for. 
or Michael Bolton. I mean, there's a lot of people that he's influenced and written music for and stuff, and people are like, what, are you serious? Yeah. And they'd be people that would be surprised as to someone with this genre of music would associate with a guy that's like a crooner, a solo artist singing pop songs, love songs. Yeah. Because we learn from each other. We grow from each other. We can share ideas and thoughts with each other, even if we disagree, just like the old philosophers would come together with different ideas and talk about them and share and think about and pontificate. And maybe they agree on some common ground or maybe they don't, but at least we're thinking about things, moving things forward. Right now, we're not. We're so divided and we can continue to divide and that's why our country is going to implode from within. Another example, Iran. Apparently, there was some weightlifting contest somewhere in the world, and apparently a uh, weightlifter, competitor from Iran, I guess he finished second in some weight class, and then an Israeli finished third, so they were on the podium together. In fact, before I get any further, let me play the the video clip that kind of sent the Middle East ablaze. Then we go to the 109 plus bodyweight category. We have the third place. A bronze medal goes to Poland, Polska, Karol Duskow. So you notice in the back, the Israeli extends his hand. So the Iranian weightlifter shakes hands. They take a picture together. Well, apparently now that is that Iranian weightlifter has been banned from competing and being a part of and participating in and showing up at any weightlifting facility in Iran because he shook hands with an Israeli. Now, every single good sportsmanship, anything that I looked up, whether it be a list, whether it be an article, whether it be an expert I listened to, all of them say good sportsmanship includes shaking hands with your opponent. There's other aspects to good sportsmanship, but... Good sportsmanship includes shaking hands. Now, the Israeli finished third. The Iranian finished second. The Israeli reaches out, shakes hands, and now the Iranian is in big trouble. And he can't participate. He's banned for life because Iran doesn't recognize Israel, and all contact between Iranians and Israelis is prohibited. Apparently, he is banned for life because of an unforgivable discretion unforgivable discretion he shook hands with an israeli that's unforgivable he crossed the red lines of the islamic republic how bad of him to shake hands i mean really iran that is what's bad not all the other things that you're doing but shaking hands with an israeli is the worst that you can do now there was a chess player that apparently got in hot water somewhere along the lines and he defected became a naturalized french citizen so I would hope that perhaps this Iranian can defect and somebody, another country, accept him so he can continue weightlifting. Because how despicable can it be for someone to ban you because you show good sportsmanship and you reach out? That's just crazy. But that's where we are in this world. That right there is an example of what our country is becoming. Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, Christian, non-Christian, whatever it is. It's becoming that. Your association with that person is now making you ostracized. 
I wouldn't be surprised if there comes a day where if somebody posted something on True Social, which is Trump's social media, that you get arrested for that because you associated with something that Trump was associated with. Or if you write something conservative on Twitter, that the police come after you. That's what we're getting in this day and age because you've got a weaponization of things going on and it's no different than Iran blacklisting this guy saying he did an unforgivable discretion and he crossed the red line of the Islamic Republic by shaking hands with Israeli because the upper echelons of Iran hate Israel. Unbelievable. And then, of course, there's been other things. I mean, not too long ago, back in 2022, an Iranian female rock climber got in trouble because she competed without her headscarf on. She was placed under house arrest, had to apologize, and most recently I've seen she's back competing wearing the headscarf. But she got in trouble. And at the time they were protesting because apparently there was a young gal who got arrested by the moral police in Iran and died in the custody of the Iranian moral police. Obviously they beat her and killed her. And so the women were protesting, and they weren't wearing their headscarves. And this was one of those protests. And then she got in trouble for it. Luckily, she's still alive. But again, she had to basically give in to what the Iranian moral police were saying. But how is it that we've come to a place in this world where shaking hands with somebody, showing good sports and competition that's supposed to be fun, is an unforgivable discretion, crossing the red lines of the Islamic Republic? You Look at this country. We're not too far from that. We're crossing the red lines of the Democratic Party, crossing the red lines of the liberal ideology, the trans ideology. It's out there. You got to check yourself because there's a lot that's going to continue to go on as we get closer and closer to this next election, as we get deeper and deeper into the future of this country and the divide. I mean, real quick, something we might talk about on a later episode. But you've got laws in California that are prohibiting, if they become laws, will prohibit a store owner from confronting a criminal. You've seen all these smashing grabs in California, in Pasadena, California. A jewelry store was robbed of half a million dollars. They, I, I don't know if they tried to fight back or not, but half a million dollars lost. California, a new law, would say that you cannot fight back against them. They have to take what they can take. They get to take it. And you will be held responsible, and you could be fined up to $18,000 by OSHA if you fight back. And the only way to fight back is to hire private security, which increases the cost of small business. Then there's also another law that they're working on that says that if you are in jail, prison, life without parole, that you have the opportunity to ask for resentencing so that you could possibly get out on parole. Kidding me? I don't get it. That's the world. That's the reality of the world that we live in. Again, the reality of the world that we live in, and you can put any spin on it, you can put anybody, replace anything into this scenario. An Iranian weightlifter at a competition shook hands with an Israeli competitor, and he did the unforgivable discretion by shaking hands with an Israeli. He crossed the red lines of the Islamic Republic banned for life and who knows what else is going to happen and you saw the video something innocuous in fact it was the israeli that approached him maybe israel should reach out and see if the dude wants to defect because that's just crazy and that's where we are and again sportsmanship 
I've got the list here that I kind of took down. Some of the uh, top examples or characteristics or qualities of good sportsmanship. Be a gracious winner. Don't be a sore loser. Shake hands was in every single one of them. Be encouraging. Respectful. Don't cheat. Give 100%. Be a team player and have a positive attitude. Those were the consensus top selections of all the stuff that I read on what it takes to be a good, you know, have show good sportsmanship. That's what it was. And shake hands was always towards the top. Showing good sportsmanship is now the unforgivable discretion that crosses the red line of the Islamic Republic that is slowly creeping into the ideology of America today. This is Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Sonny. Hey, check out our website, RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. A lot of things on there. If you click on the Two Steps Ahead podcast logo, it takes you to our video page that has all the episodes, the video component of the episodes, and you can watch all the past videos. Um, there's also like an orange line that goes across that page. If you click on that, it takes you to our SoundCloud account, which is our audio version and you can download those and take them with you on the go. You can also do a, um, listen anyway. you listen to the podcast. Just search TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and we pop up. Internet search. Or you can just say, hey, Google, hey, Surrey, hey, Alexa, play TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and then the show pops up. So we're pretty easy to find. And, again, just a quick internet search. Again, TWO is the two. Spell it out, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and we pop up. You can email the show at two steps ahead podcast at gmail.com. I will respond if you need to reach out for any reason or you just want to give some feedback. If you need to connect with somebody, if you need advice, whatever it is, feel free to reach out. And if I can't do something, I can try to connect you with maybe some of the resources that I know and maybe they can have a connection and, and help you out. Um, but again, what are we going to do? You know, we've got a lot of stuff going on, you know, right now. As we speak in this original broadcast, maybe down the road when you listen, it might not be as relevant, but we can take and learn from it. You've got 70,000 people on the playa, northern Nevada in the desert, Black Rock City. Torrential rains, they're cut off, 70,000 people. What's going to happen to them? Working together is probably the only way they're going to survive. You've got an Iranian shaking hands with an Israeli and now banned for life because of that. Are we going to act like that? Are we going to push that? Are we going to cross the divide and try to bring people together? Are we going to work on bringing out our inner greatness, raising the standard so that we may inspire and motivate others to do the same so that we can take our passion, make it happen, and not only let ourselves be great, but let people around us be great as we become great in ourselves. I'm not talking about greatness out there. I'm talking about greatness within us, greatness within our circle. If we raise ourselves and we become the best possible person we can, that's going to bring other people up and that's going to make society a lot better. And it starts at the grassroots level in your community, in your neighborhoods, maybe in your social circles. It's not a top-down approach. It's a bottom-up approach, grassroots on up. But it's up to you to make it happen. Again, Two Steps Ahead podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Sonny Hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, 
God bless.